This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. Welcome to another Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. I know many today are feeling overwhelmed with the global pandemics and challenges and tensions across our nation and around the world. And I'm reminded of a, of a book that I wrote in 1990 called Who Will Cross the Jordan? It was addressing some messages I shared and believed that God was leading us in preparation for, for the future harvest. So in 1980s, I began to teach on these principles, but published the book, Who Will Cross the Jordan in 1990. A few years later, when it was out of print in 1998, some people actually encouraged me to rewrite it and update it and to republish it. So we did under a new title called It's Time to Cross the Jordan. So the first title was Who Will Cross the Jordan? The second title, It's Time to Cross the Jordan. And I believe we're really in this tension point again. Who will actually get to cross into the promised land? And secondly, it's time. This is that moment. The future is now. I've been sharing that for the last few weeks, that many things that we've taught, things that we've learned, things that we've processed, Really, the future is now. We're in that precipice of that moment of entering into the next season or the next era of our life. In fact, and for many, in the next season of eternity. I liked what Leonard Ravenhill used to uh, write me notes. And one of the notes he wrote me said, uh, my brother Doug, let others live on the raw edge or the cutting edge, but you and I should live on the edge of eternity. You don't know how many times that comment has encouraged me. When I've been through discouragements, when I've been through the desert or the wilderness times of my life, being reminded there's an eternal perspective of what we're going through. The journey doesn't end here. There is an eternal journey that we're a part of, and we get the privilege of helping others to find that place of hope in the midst of their own challenges or their own wilderness journeys. I still remember when Leonard Ravenhill first read the pre-published version of my book. It was still in really in a rough stage, but he read it, reached out to me. And then later when we did publish the book in 1990, he wrote these words as an endorsement to the book. I pray your book will help those who are stuck between Egypt and the promised land to find escape and entrance. This book challenges and is ministering life. Press on Leonard Ravenhill, author of Why Revival Tarries. I remember over the years, he became a fan of the book and of me and really encouraged me, became like a spiritual grandfather and sent me the right notes at the right time or would call and we'd pray together. And I just remember how encouraging that was to have a senior statesman, a revivalist investing in a young minister like me all those years ago. I was so humbled that Leonard Ravenhill would actually get cases of my book and he would give that book out to different people that he was meeting with. And I still look back on those days and realizing what a privilege it was to have a man of that stature who loved God, who was a revivalist at heart, who invested in so many other people, would take the time with a nobody, a young minister in Houston, Texas. One of the people that Leonard Ravenhill gave my book, Who Will Cross the Jordan To, was Steve Hill, the evangelist, who later became a great friend over the years. In fact, in the rewrite of the book and the the updated published version of 1998, Steve Hill wrote, Doug has a word from the Lord and has been used of God to rescue the perishing from the clutches of the enemy. This is warrior material. 
The book was actually forwarded by the late Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole, who had been like a spiritual father to me. Another minister who read the book, Who Will Cross the Jordan, ended up endorsing the rewrite called It's Time to Cross the Jordan, is Dr. Michael Brown, who later became a friend as well. He says, there are many talkers in the church today, but few doers. He says, this is a clear call to action, a book that will challenge you to make your life count for the kingdom. There is a Jordan that only you can cross. And he questions, will you? Let me make this clear. I'm not trying to promote an old book I wrote. It's not even in print anymore, although there are copies out there that keep recirculating and reprints. But let me just read to you what the editorial update was in 1998. This is three years prior to 9-11, and this is a few years after the original book, Who Will Cross the Jordan?, and then it became known as It's Time to Cross the Jordan. Here's what the publishers wrote in the editorial update of the 1998 version. A call and challenge from modern-day heroes of the faith has been proclaimed for several years now. It has been said that the message of Who Will Cross the Jordan or now it's time to cross the Jordan, is more timely today than when it was first written. Among the many manuscripts that this publisher receives, when we first read Who Will Cross the Jordan in 1990, we were compelled to get the message out. Sensing it has the potential of becoming a classic, he proceeded. The publisher's editorial update goes on to say, As Doug has stated, revival can come either by shaking or by choice. Hebrews 12, 25-29 speaks clearly of a shaking that will come. This is addressed in the chapter called Churchquake. And then it goes on to say, How prepared are we to be the witness we need to be to those around us? Will we be true heroes of the faith? It's time to cross the Jordan is a timeless message about personal and corporate revival. What will sustain this kind of lasting revival or hinder it in our lives? We must come to our knees by choice and arise with a fresh passion for God and compassion for souls. As you read this book, may you determine to cross your Jordan. It's time. Now, I gave you all this as a preface to what I want to share with you today. I'm not asking you to read the book, but I'm going to begin to do a series from the teaching that it's it's time to cross the Jordan because I believe there's many today that are stuck between Egypt and the promised land especially with all that's going on in the world today. I'll take time to read portions of the book, but remember this. I first wrote this in the 1980s, published in 1990, and then republished again in 1998. So it's been many, many years. That being said, I believe the principles of God's kingdom are still true today. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe there's a lot of people stuck between their Egypt and their promised land. And I know especially what we're going through today, there's so many people really struggling through stress, anxiety, sorrow, depression, even concerns about the future. But remember what I said, the future is now. It's time to cross the Jordan. Let me just share a few principles that came out of the book. From 1986 to 1995, we held a spiritual impact evangelism conference each year in Houston. They were mainly for those who have a burden for the lost, but also for those who have a longing in their souls to draw nearer to the Lord. The conferences were attended by men and women from around the world who ministered to society's discards on street corners and in back alleys in some of the ugliest spots on the earth. Willing to remain anonymous, these are our frontline soldiers in God's army. Their works go unnoticed by millions, but mean so much to the outcast people that they reach. 
I've worked in the streets with many of these brothers and sisters in Christ, but to see the spiritual wealth of their lives together at one time in a great conference is always powerful, encouraging, and refreshing. Each year of the conferences, my amazement grew, and by the time of the fifth conference, the courage, stamina, persistence, and sheer faith of these warriors overwhelmed me. I was so affected by them that I was disgusted with the limitations I often felt in my own spirit, my own life, and ministry. And as I was getting ready to address them, I did not know what to say to them at this particular conference. But I got a challenge from the heart of God. You see, prior to the 1990 conference, I had been seeking the Lord for His heart concerning those who would be attending. I felt the need to hear from God more keenly than ever before. I wanted to give them a message that would bring rest to their weary hearts, encourage them, boost their faith even more, and enlarge their vision. And as I prayed, I came to realize there are times when we're all weary travelers in our journey. Whether we're a minister or a marketplace leader, as we journey through our Christian lives, we often become weary. We desire to be used of God, to have His anointing flow freely through us during every hour of the day, but at times we grow tired, don't we? Weary of the fight and depleted of the energy that the ministry God gives us requires. I began to picture Jesus as an oasis of life for God's people, a watering hole in a parched desert land. I thought of the Israelites struggling in the wilderness between Egypt and Canaan. God's perfect plan for us is not simply to deliver us from the world or Egypt, but to deliver us into a place of victory and rest, the promised land. When we lose sight of our ultimate rest in Christ, we dry up and die in the wilderness of life. Even if we continue pressing forward on the outside, we can dry up on the inside. We can lose the manifestation of Christ's person, resurrection power, and anointing in and through our lives. Look at Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. As I meditated on this, God began to show me that He desires intimacy with us, that He desires to lead us out of a spiritual Egypt through the wilderness trials and into a land of promise that He has given us. To get to that land, each of us have to cross the Jordan in our own lives. What is that Jordan? Our e-store at somebodycares.org has a variety of resources for you and your team. Doug's books, including Leadership Awakening and In Search of a Father's Blessing, bundle packages for teaching series and disaster relief preparation, and our Desire to Win t-shirts all can be found at somebodycares.org forward slash store. Be sure to head there after today's episode. What is that Jordan? For each Christian, the Jordan is the line between wilderness living and promised land living. It's the line between living in the power of self or in the power of Christ. It's the line between complacent and mediocre Christianity lived for self or unyielding and exceptional Christianity lived for Christ. For some, that line seems to be a simple step, a decision of their will. For others, the line seems to be an almost impassable barrier, a war against their will. See, the choice is ours. Whether a simple decision or a battle within, the choice is ours and must be made and fought through if necessary. Either we wear the wilderness garments of the world or we wear the promised land garments of Jesus Christ. Wearing the garments of Christ means to hate sin and love God with all of our heart, soul, and might. To love God in this way is to open us to truth and correction. If we're not willing to receive truth, correction, and chastisement, then we'll never enter into the completeness of what God has for us or ultimately the promised land. As a church, 
We're in great need of truth and correction today like never before. I go on to quote a survey from back in the 1990s where the survey showed that 80% of Americans considered themselves to be born again, but only 13% of that 80% said they would suffer persecution for the gospel's sake. In fact, in some similar surveys around that time, it said that out of those 80%, only 13 or 14% believed in the biblical commandments of God. The Bible teaches that all who would live godly in Christ Jesus would suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.2. Therefore, it would be reasonable to assume that only 13% of those surveyed were truly born again. Now, I'm not trying to judge people's salvation. I'm just trying to make a point. How can we say that we're born again? How can we say that Jesus is our Lord if we're not letting Him be the Lord of our lives? In fact, the lackluster devotion to the Lord that I see today is a quandary for the church today and the influence that we will leave for the future. I remember in January 2nd of 1990, I was on the way to Vietnam with a group of Vietnam veterans that were part of Vets with a Mission. At that time, Bill was the president of Vets with a Mission, and he taught me something about poverty, persecution, and prosperity. He said there are three things the church has struggled with over the last 2,000 years, poverty, persecution, and prosperity. History shows that the greatest growth and revival have come during times of poverty or persecution or times of challenge. During times of prosperity and material wealth, Christians tend to forget God and look to themselves, as did the Israelites even after God warned them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 through 17. This tendency is actually a form of idolatry, worship of someone or something in place of the Lord. The idolatry in turn spawns self-centeredness, complacency, apathy, and compromise. Instead of fearing God, Christians fear the world and seek its deceiving goods. This has been the case in recent church history, I believe, and so it is today. The chastisement of God must come to purify us if we're to reach the promised land. The Lord's chastisement, like His consuming fire, can do one of two things. It will either harden our hearts and cause us to reject His correction, or it will cause us to refocus our priorities and reevaluate our purpose for living. God chastises us to bring us back in line with His truth and His grace, His abounding, great, and amazing grace, so that we can be partakers of His holiness, Hebrews 12.10. If we choose the pleasures of unrighteousness over the love of truth, we're in danger of deception. And then we will fall prey to that deception. Then we're in danger of sliding into the judgment that is to come upon the entire world. So again, the question remains, who will cross the Jordan? So again, while seeking the Lord about the fifth spiritual impact in evangelism conference, the Lord confirmed our conference theme, who will cross the Jordan? That's right, the theme became the title of the book, and gave me a message to minister to those attending. As I stood before this large gathering of heroes and champions of the faith, I began to share, and I felt the Spirit of the Lord just move upon me to say to them, don't be discouraged, don't be weary, let's cross the Jordan together. Let's receive truth and correction and get ourselves in position to receive the anointing and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Over 800 pastors, ministers, church leaders, and those involved in outreach and evangelism were present that particular evening. 
all of them, without exception, responded to the invitation to receive the anointing of oil that symbolized the Holy Spirit and accepted the Spirit's challenge to leave their past behind, prepare themselves to cross into the Jordan, the promises of God. With tears streaming down their faces and many shouts of joy, they each left the wilderness of self and crossed the Jordan, the spiritual Jordan, entered the promised land of Christ. There may be traps, even temptations, that we may encounter along the way in our journey, but we are able to face them because the Lord in us prepares us to keep our focus on destination and hold on to the promises that He has given us. In this podcast and in future podcasts, I want to explore some of the pitfalls that keep us from crossing our Jordan, and I want to offer help and encouragement to those who are ready to cross and possess the land of promise. You see, God's land of milk and honey in Christ awaits us on the other side of our particular Jordans or barriers along the way. I want to encourage you. Here is a song and a chorus of a song that was written by two friends during that conference in 1990 by Randall Flynn and April Carney. Pass over Jordan. Pass over Jordan. Pass over, leave the past behind. Will you cross? Will you cross? Pass over Jordan. The spirit beckons go. The waters are receding. Your heart shall overflow. The fullness of Christ in you, the resurrected man, once baptized into his death to rise and live again. One of the major pitfalls that prevents us from entering into the promises of God or crossing our Jordan is that we live between two kingdoms. It says in 1 Kings 18 verse 21, Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. You see, the world that we live in and the Christian world are two different spiritual kingdoms. The kingdom of God is righteousness, and the kingdom of Satan is the love of the world and all that is contrary to righteousness. I've learned over the years and from various people I've met, that it is possible to live in both worlds and yet be known as a Christian. You see, worldliness, or the kingdoms of this world, doesn't only include those who are outside the church, but it also can be those who call Jesus Lord. Jesus said that God's children cannot serve God and mammon, Matthew 6.24. Mammon is a figurative word for the world. It connotes a world that puts its confidence in material wealth and its energy in seeking that wealth. It connotes avarice, which is covetousness and greed. It is described as wealth personified because personified means to attribute a human characteristic to an inanimate object or concept. It is, in essence, avarice deified because deified means to make something into a god and worship it as such. In other words, mammon means to worship as a god the material world and the riches it has to offer. Jesus uses mammon to illustrate how wealth itself has become exalted to the place that should be only occupied by God himself. No wonder we cannot serve both at the same time. We cannot serve two gods. We cannot serve God and also serve sin. Worldliness is an abomination to God, Luke 16, 15. It is impossible to love the one, Jesus, without hating the other. And it's impossible to hold the other without despising the one, the Lord Jesus himself. You see, we cannot embrace the covetousness and greed of this world at the same time embrace the righteousness of God. 
Worldly people are kidding themselves when they pray little prayers but refuse to turn their lives over to the Lord. See, two opposing worlds of opposite character and purpose cannot be reconciled. The only way to reconcile ourselves to two kingdoms of two different natures is to choose one or the other. You cannot choose both. You cannot live both in the wilderness and in the promised land. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about living in this world. What I'm talking about is giving our lives or hearts to the world because we live in this world, but we're not of it. We have to determine right away if the Lord is Lord of our lives, then we serve his kingdom. We're ambassadors for Christ, ministers of reconciliation. We become part of his kingdom and his kingdom is greater than the kingdoms of this world. There may be times that we have tried to avoid making a choice between which kingdom we will actually serve. The church of Laodicea was denounced by Christ in the book of Revelation. He said, because you are lukewarm, I will upchuck you or throw you up or vomit you out of my mouth, Revelation 3.16. For several years, I have taken ministry trips to Southeast Asia, Vietnam, with a team of veterans and ministers. And during one of my trips, I became desperately ill. The doctors warned me about amoeba, malaria, and typhoid, which often proves fatal. I contacted a severe illness, and all I knew was that my body was fighting desperately to get something out of it. After a lot of prayer and seeing the doctors, I finally received a clean bill of health. What I experienced with that sickness is in some way a picture to me of wanting to get that sickness out of me, get that thing that was hindering me out. And I can imagine in a picture of what Christ means when he wants to get the lukewarmness out of the church. See, lukewarmness makes God sick. Everything within him wants to be rid of it. Yet many professing Christians are worshiping the God of self, living in worldliness, and serving the kingdoms of this world. By doing so, our actions are a form of despising God himself. Lukewarmness comes over us gradually. First, we're hot and on fire for God. Then the process of justifying and rationalizing sin begins to take place. When truth is finally shoved aside, we become friends with the world and no longer hot nor cold, but simply lukewarm. As believers in the Lord, we know that our bodies are to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, you see, each time we put our trust in the world system and its devices to sustain us, we are placing the temple of the Holy Spirit in bondage to a satanic world system. By pursuing worldly relationships and possessions, we become idolaters and worshipers of this world. Again, I'm not talking about in the natural course of relationships and building business or developing success. I'm talking about the love of this world and living in a worldly fashion. Then we become idolaters and worshipers of the world. Obviously, this lukewarmness cannot be acceptable to a holy God. What I saw during my first trip to Vietnam in 1990 became part of a life lesson to me. The poverty and oppression of the general populace and the squalid conditions at the orphanages that we visited were in sharp contrast to the spiritual riches at the same time of these precious persecuted Christians. The Vietnamese Christians are hungrier for God even in the midst of scarcely adequate food and resources. They met under threat of their lives and yet joyously baptized, worship, taught one another about God. And to come home after my first trip and try to tell the blessed, apathetic people in the free world what I saw over there was one of the most trying times of my ministry. 
Just before his denunciation of Laodicea, Christ lauded the church of Smyrna by saying, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. Revelation 2.9 This is true of many Christians in Vietnam today. But for Christians of abundantly blessed nations that we live in, I can hear Christ saying, You say I'm rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Revelation 3.17 It is so easy for us to become naked and poor in the midst of our physical comforts and riches that we have around us. May God's mercy be for those of us who do. To whom much is given, Scripture says, from him much will be required. Luke 12, 48. The loving and compassionate Christ, who laid down his life for us on the cross of Calvary, is the very same Jesus who says he will vomit us out of his mouth if we're found to be lukewarm through comfortable compromise with the world. You see, the Lord leaves us no room for carnal Christianity or worldliness. In fact, carnal Christianity is a self-delusion. It's just another way of saying, I want to live for the world, but I also want to be accepted by God. I want to partake of the pleasures of sin, but I also want fire insurance, so to speak. Either we are disciples of Christ or we're not. Either we love God or we're at enmity with Him. Jesus loved us so much that He voluntarily laid down His life and poured out His blood for us, choosing in His flesh to be separated from God during that climactic moment on the cross, and in so doing, uniting Himself with us that we might have eternity with Him. What love! The high cost of love on Calvary for us. How can we return to Him less than a genuinely yielded life, consecrated to Him? Whatever we choose, there are consequences to our choices. Proverbs 13.13 says, He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. God's point is clear to us. There are consequences for despising the word of God. When God's truth is shoved aside and his commandments are ignored, we bring judgment upon ourselves or we suffer consequences. When we continue to set our affections between two worlds and persistently try to live a compromised spiritual life, we will suffer the consequences. Simple obedience to God, on the other hand, brings great reward and yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. If you have a moment, read Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, and Hebrews 13, 10. God so passionately desires communion with us that He continues to reach out to us in so many different ways. Through His loving chastisements, God is bringing us to a place where we are willing and able to walk with Him in oneness of heart, oneness of soul, oneness of mind, and oneness of spirit. As God's chastisements continue and mature us, we will come to the place where people will see the distinction in our lives. They will see that we are different from the world in our values, in the way we act, and in how we do business. All aspects of our lives will become different, holy, acceptable unto God. Either we receive His instructions and reap His rewards, or we will despise his instructions and suffer the consequences. Either we deliberately cross the Jordan and enter into his rest, or we let our indecision make our decision for us and continue to wander in the wilderness of life. Let me conclude with Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. My friends, don't be stuck between two kingdoms. Yes, we live in this world, but we're not of it. We don't have to be worldly to have a godly influence in the world. On the next podcast, I'll carry on with this series because I want to talk about It's Your Choice. And I'll use the example of Orpah and Ruth. One lived their life in greatness. The other went down in mediocrity based on choice. Each of us has a choice to make to serve God and to leave a lasting legacy or to live in mediocrity in the world, thus diminishing God's intended purpose to leave a lasting legacy through us. Lord, I pray that those who've listened to this podcast, they they hear my heart that I'm not, and I pray that they would not perceive it to be uh, legalism or condemnation because that's not my intent. But I do pray that you remind us that we can't live in two worlds. We are of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of faith and light and not of darkness. And the world desperately needs hope. And that hope is in you, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would help those who are listening. If they don't know you, they would come to know you. And those that do, they begin to evaluate their own walk, as I've had to do over my life, and to say, Lord, if there's areas of compromise, would you show me? Even if King David would pray, Lord, reveal to me even the hidden presumptuous areas of my life. Father, help us to be honest with you, to walk in your grace and your abounding grace, your amazing grace and your great grace. But let us not excuse by our choices to be worldly, to excuse ourselves and justify it, because we're justified by faith, not in the flesh. So, Lord, I pray that you would encourage those who are listening, that we can all recalibrate from time to time. We can take honest reflection of our own lives and walk, because I believe those who are listening that you want to see them saved, walk in the fullness of the Godhead bodily, to walk in a way that leaves a lasting legacy and influences those around them. I pray, Lord, for the peace of God that surpasses human comprehension to work in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to overcome the works of the flesh and truly represent you as ambassadors for Christ. May your peace flow in and through us. May your healing virtue flow in and through us. May your joy and your strength flow in and through us, Lord. We thank you because the price has been paid once and for all. But Lord, we want to align ourselves with you and make the choice to live after your example and to be the imitators of Christ you have called us to be. Even as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. May we also be able to say, Follow our example as we follow Christ. If you need prayer today, please reach out. You can email your prayer request at prayer at somebodycares.org. Again, that's prayer at somebodycares.org. Or call our Somebody Cares America prayer line, 855-459-2273. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.